0: Hey, uh, welcome to the new voting project. My name is Kunal, your host, and today we are very happy
1: to have Jennifer Steen on our show. Uh, she's a registered nurse, a union organizer, and now a front runner uh, candidate for state assembly in Assembly District 20 in California. Uh, recently, her opponent and the former incumbent for this seat bowed out of the race. So things are looking pretty positive, uh, but but hopefully this conversation will shed light more on the issues uh, that are facing uh, this district and more about the candidate, uh, Jennifer herself. Uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time to be be here with us today. I do appreciate it. I can understand you're very busy as a candidate, uh, so your time is very
0: valuable. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me on the, the show. And yeah, it's it's been thrilling to be in this campaign since July. Of 2021, while there was an incumbent, right, and um, you know, just excited to know that his 10 years of service will be honored, that he's announced his retirement, and that now there's space for somebody like me, who's you know a gay black woman, working person, registered nurse, uh, so that I can make history when I win. I'll be the first black gay, openly gay person ever elected to the California State Legislature, and the first black Jew. And that is, you know, it's like visibility, representation, it's all those things. But also being a nurse is really key to why I'm running because we don't have any nurses serving in the state legislature. And I'm hoping to bring a caring and health focus, especially while we're still dealing with COVID. People keep talking about after COVID, what comes next? Frankly, COVID is here and we have to have a society that can weather the storm of a public health crisis. Yeah. That sounds pretty
1: good, not going to lie. Uh, public health crisis, especially with Omicron and everything going up. Please go get boosted. I
0: uh, and... took my oldest
1: son yesterday to get his. I got mine. Exactly. Uh, but before, before we get into the issues, let's talk about your background. You know, kind of guide us through how you got to this stage, you know, why you're running, uh, how you became a nurse and how that ties into all of this and, and basically your story
0: as a candidate. All right, I'll give you the short version because I know folks uh, <laughs> want to hear the long version. They should come to a meet and greet, come and come to an event, and I'll tell you everything. But basically, I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, which, if you remember Hurricane Katrina, people standing on rooftops during a natural disaster saying "Help us, help us," is kind of a poor city. You know, like it's a beautiful place to visit. I'm happy it's my home. My family's still there, and I love it. Uh, but when I was 20 and I had finished college, I had a one-year-old, and I was like. I need to get out of here. Like, I need to move to a place where there's more opportunity. And here we are, in California, the Golden State, right? It's like the state of all dreams for me, at least. And so, found my way to California. Took like a, a road trip, with my my one year old, and we hit the road. Seven long days. Made it to the East Bay, and a few years went by. I got divorced, had another kid, and then the economic crisis happened in 07, 08. I don't I don't know if you remember that canal. It was like. For people who were young, they were like, you will never move out of your parents' home. You're gonna live in a basement. Like the economy tanked worldwide. um, And it drove me to become a nurse because I was facing economic hardship. Like we were on the brink of being unhoused. And fortunately I was able to become a nurse in a one-year accelerated program at Samuel Merritt University, go Samuel Merritt. And uh, got a job at San Francisco General Hospital working in the psychiatric emergency room. Wow, that was intense. an intense place. That's yeah. Intense. yeah, intense. Gave me all so, so much knowledge about working with people who are precariously housed or unhoused, folks in crisis, the state of our behavioral health system. Um, and after five years, I, I moved into the transitions division, working with folks in the community and found out that some of my clients were being evicted in order to fast track the opening of a homeless shelter. And I was like, the budget in this city, I worked in San Francisco, the budget was $12 billion at the time. And I was like, a budget that large should be able to accommodate housing for folks who have severe and persistent mental illness and a homeless shelter. Like, why are we trading those? And this was the moment where I was the most grateful for my union representation, because I was able to speak out, kind of blew the whistle on some things and, Uh, Within three months, we not only protected and funded and kept fully staffed my uh, clients' homes, but we were able to get legislation. You know, the the Board of Supervisors said, we hear what you're saying, Jennifer. They listened to me and my clients, which was beautiful. And that was the moment where I was like, whoa, organizing, organizing works. And my union, SEIU 1021, was like, guess what, Jennifer? you're our new vice president of organizing. (laughs) And I was kind of like, but I'm a nurse. I'm supposed to advocate, right? And they were like, but it's bigger than that because advocacy is one thing. Organizing builds advocacy in the community and with the community. And that's kind of where I am today with this campaign. It's like people are able to build power when we all come together. Uh, I didn't know it coming from a right to work state. i didn't I didn't even think being a union was a good thing. I didn't think it was for me. Uh, and now I'm like, everybody needs a union. Everybody deserves to have a voice on the job, to be able to speak up when they see injustice uh, and be protected and safe when they do it. So that's kind of the short story to the journey, yeah,
1: no, and that that makes a lot of sense. You're bringing a lot of those community values to your current seat, uh, which I think, like I think the theme is, of representation. Um, it makes a lot of sense. I would love to have more union organizers run for office. <laughs> Might be the best thing. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and now let's let's get into your campaign. Tell me more about the values, the policy objectives. You know, in California, we're looking at housing. Uh, we're looking at environmental justice. We're looking at traffic congestion. Um, all of these, we're looking at healthcare uh, with AB, I believe 1400. Uh, CalCare. uh so so talk about your your stances on some of these issues uh especially during during a pandemic a public health crisis yeah. uh, um and and what what we're going to face post 2021 i can't believe it's 2022 already like what days away
0: yeah so my campaign is founded on three tenets it's about housing it's about healthcare and it's about justice hard to see my fingers in the screen um so, you know, housing is a big need. Um, as I stated before, I worked with folks who were marginally housed or unhoused, um, you know, fought for resources so that we didn't close one down to open one up. And I think that, you know, in this state of great wealth, in this bay area where the wealth concentration is so high, it's imperative that we are able to house everyone who lives in our communities. And there's so many vacancies right now today that, every single homeless person could be housed if we didn't have those vacancies. So one novel idea is like, what if we make vacancies so expensive that it's cheaper to house people? And, you know, I think in order to, to implement something like that, you need a vacancy, you need to have a, a, a state database of all rental units. I don't think that's hard to come up with. We This is the home of Silicon Valley, the home of innovation. We can come up with computer systems to track all sorts of things. Um, So that's one way. Another thing that I believe in is that we need mixed income housing units. And I think that some of those housing units should be developed with uh, governmental subsidies. So that would be kind of like social housing, but it also would create communities where folks of different uh, income levels live all together. And when we bring in different income levels, that's like code word for saying, mix up the races also. Like we're not just gonna have housing developments that are following the old racist model of redlining and steering and segregated communities, uh, because that has an impact on our educational system. So, you know, if we have mixed income, it's like you can have a teacher living next to a doctor, living next to someone who works for BART or living, you know, a waiter or a barista, and even potentially someone who previously was unhoused or formerly incarcerated. They can all live in one community Folks can break down barriers. I mean, maybe it's a little Pollyanna-ish, but I think that's actually what real life looks like. Everybody lives everywhere. Um, That's what community is. Uh, So I think that that's possible. Um, For healthcare, I just believe that, yes, we have to have universal healthcare for everyone, regardless of your your employment status, whether you're self-employed, unemployed, or underemployed, and regardless of your immigration status. Everybody deserves, I think, that we all want the same thing which is to be able to go to the doctor and leave and not have a bill. It's pretty simple. And because I'm a psych nurse, I see behavioral health expansion as key to our public health expansion as well. Um, and the, the little piece I mentioned about education and the taxes that come from um, real estate and property tax, which funds our educational system, I think we also have to make sure that as we are educating our young folks, as we are educating people who are already adults and maybe need to be retrained, that we incentivize their path into professions that are high need. Like right now, medical professions, we need people who could be doctors and nurses badly, especially during this COVID uh, crisis where folks are um, really, really burned out. And we also need people who can provide behavioral health care. I think the conversation around the state and the country is So many people are in crisis. Folks have to dial 911. Right here in Alameda County, home to 8020 to the district I'm running in, we're home to the most 5150s per capita in the state. And what a 5150 is for folks who don't know, it's the police code for an involuntary psych hold. So if you dial 911 and you're like, I'm in trouble, I need behavioral health care, because you don't know who else to call, they take you to the hospital where I used to work, to the psychiatric emergency room, in the back of a police car, wearing handcuffs and that's your entry to getting he- help while you're in crisis. And I think we can do better than that. But we also have to have providers. You know, the police aren't the best trained people to provide behavioral health care. Clinicians are. Psychologists, social workers, therapists, and we have to incentivize those folks to come into the workforce and to um do that, they need to have like no student loans. Thank you, Joe Biden, for giving us another six months. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, people need their education to be free. Like, there are ways that we can do this. um, And all of that will have beautiful impacts on our Cal State educational system, on our community college system. Because when we start making sure people can get educated and funding it, we're funding everyone. You know, we're making sure that the CSU system no longer has uh, issues with contract negotiations. We're making sure that the community college system has funding where right now their enrollment is dropping and it should be increasing. I could go on and on, but these are, these are some of the ways and it all kind of weaves together. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of
1: sense in terms of <clears throat> current, current issues we're facing, especially, especially on healthcare. I believe that we should have more nurses representing us overall mm-hmm. and in the, in the legislature, um, especially ones that are union organizers. And especially on education, I feel like, you know, I've had Delane Easton on the show. Um, and w- what we've discussed is that there's a failure and lack of sustainable education policy because it's usually the first thing to go when we're talking about budget cuts um, and, and whatnot, um, even 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 in a state like California. Uh, so, so I believe education is a high priority. It affects my generation the most, you know, having a solid education going in, maybe vocational training opportunities, but I think those need to be at the forefront of the discussion because I don't think they ever are. Uh, but needless to say, we do have to deal with the public health crisis right now. <laughs> yeah. Make, make vaccinations more clear, uh, make testing, rapid testing more available. Uh, those are all things we should be focusing on, uh, as we speak uh but yeah no those sound those sound like hefty hefty goals especially to accomplish in a very moderate legislator i'm not gonna lie it, it's a tough battle how are you how are you prepared to deal with that because progressive legislators have told me themselves it's
0: it's really difficult to get anything accomplished right right that's so sad to hear because yeah. we have a democratic supermajority, right in our assembly and senate and we have a democratic governor. so you know The difficulty is part of why I think my union organizing experience uh, will come in handy, because frankly, folks need to be organized. But that doesn't just mean like, hey, legislature, we need you to vote this way. It means sometimes you got to move the public, too. When you can move the constituency, when you can move the voters, when you can move public opinion and bring those people to Sacramento, the same way paid lobbyists show up in Sacramento, then you change the equation around pressure. And I think that that's something that I learned through union organizing. It's like when you build pressure, people move. I mean, it's just like in the pipes, you know, like if you have pressure built up under your house and suddenly you release the valve on the tea kettle or whatever, the steam goes up, the whistle goes off and, and you see some relief in that pressure. So I kinda wanna build up some pressure in our, in our legislature, but I also wanna make sure that the people of California have access to the legislature. Um, I wanna see folks coming up to the state capitol at least twice a week in shuttle buses from the district so that they can be in the face of every single legislator. And I think that there are community orgs out there that would love to support bringing people for more than just one lobby day a year but for lobby days consistently, the same way paid lobbyists do. Um, you know, right now I serve on the Alameda Health System Board of Trustees. And here in Alameda, uh, our, our health system manages four hospitals, John George, which is our psych hospital, Highland Hospital, our level one trauma center, uh, Alameda Hospital, and San Leandro Hospital, and more than 300 sniff beds uh, for folks when they're in recovery um, and for elder care. And in the role, I also chair the finance committee and it's a billion dollar health system. So I currently serve in a role that is moving policy, that is helping to dictate health policy within our county. And I think that the experiences that I've gained doing that while at the same time serving as vice president of organizing for more than 3,500 of the staff that work for the health system, um, I think I've demonstrated an ability to kind of toe a fine line of organizing while serving uh, in this very important role. And it's similar to what I'll do when I get to Sacramento. Um, I'll just say that we've had victories uh, at SEIU 1021, Right. And brought in 293 brand new members to our union, and they are employed at the Alameda Health System. So literally doing both jobs at the same time, representing working people, growing the labor movement and representing the health system without crossing ethical boundaries, like always maintaining, but you know, doing the work of representing working people and doing the work of representing the health system. Um, so I, you know, I don't know how many people can say that they have that kind of experience uh, where you, you every single day I show up and I do the work and uh, I will do that in Sacramento. Yeah,
1: no, I have no doubt that you won't. <laughs> and and I think it makes a lot of sense. I would just say, tread carefully. You know, Sacramento is a beast of its own. Um, it moves way beyond um, Alameda County and, and community politics. Um, and, and you might be joined by several other members. I know Matt Haney is running um, up in San Francisco. So, right. so maybe, maybe you're gonna it's gonna feed the movement that's already there. it's already existing um and let's see how these new lines turn out. I know we were talking about that before the interview uh but but no, I'm excited to see what we can accomplish in twenty twenty two and beyond uh with with our legislation uh but i want I wanna circle back the the premise of this uh show is to kind of discuss the state of voting um in the United states voting rights uh which actually i believe has to do with everything but for your purposes has to do with an election right it's very important to to vote in any election some people only vote in in you know presidential elections um others stick to community some people just don't vote at all right um and so i want to ask what's your pitch to to those voters that are going to be watching and receiving this message um that need to vote in this election what what would you um urge upon uh because because It's an off year. It's not a presidential cycle. Um, It's a primary. Uh, So, so, so tell the voters as if
0: I am a voter because technically I am a voter. (laughs) Bar voter. And you're in this district. Is that right? That's right. All right. Well, what I would say is uh, one of the first things that I like to do is ask a lot of questions about what people really care about because, you know, maybe behavioral health care is not your bag or maybe, you know, it's like, it's not about expanding healthcare and building housing, but it's something else that you care about, like the potholes on the street or the street lights or you know, something else we can address. So honestly, I wanna ask every voter what's important to them. And for the people that I can't talk to, then I wanna appeal to uh, the things that are happening globally in our world. So like, how do we protect our community from this hazard that is COVID, this healthcare crisis? As a registered nurse, it's my duty to save lives every single day. And that's the work that I intend to do as a policymaker is to implement policy and an agenda that will save lives and will care for our community. Um, You know, I think I stand apart because of my work in the Alameda Health System. I stand apart because I am a registered nurse. Uh, For the last, I don't know, 25 years, nurses have been the most trusted profession. And I think that is for good reason. I think that we engender trust we do work when people come to the hospital. The first person and the last person that they usually are are touched by is a registered nurse, and it's that kind of care that I'll bring to the work every single day. Um, and also, you know, the work that I do as an organizer is that of helping to move people, helping people to dig in and and do the work that they find to be important. So for you can all, I want to know what is it that you care about most in this world. Um,
1: I care about a lot of things. (laughs) Let's say specific to Dublin, right? Let's say let's say local affordable housing. Okay, it's one of the most prominent issues that divides progressives. It divides you know me and my neighbor potentially, right? Right. Um, So that's that's what I'm worried about the most in
0: in a growing. an industrious city like Dublin. Right, that's beautiful. So if you care about affordable housing and I wanna make sure that we can build housing but also keep housing affordable, uh, then I think that that's also what I wanna engage you about. I wanna engage with you about, um, I feel like this is kinda like an organizing conversation but I'm not trying to convince you of anything, uh, though that is kind of what you asked me to do. I think it's less about me convincing you and more about like tapping into your heart so that you can understand that we can get there together. So, you know, I, I think like my, my ideas and policy around um, making vacancies so expensive that everyone can be housed. I think that maybe applies in Dublin, but I don't think you guys have a huge homelessness crisis the way we do in other cities.
1: No, no, actually separate from most of the other districts, the cities that, that, inhabit the other the district uh we we struggle because we are often bought out by developers who only build market rate housing which Mm. partly has to do with our city council representation but Mm. i think the state i'm not much for for too much state control uh Mm. but i am for creating a balance of both market rate and affordable and having the developer uh be the one that builds it and not the state uh so so that's that's kind of the challenge we're facing, less on homelessness, uh, but more on on balancing that, not only with more infrastructure, uh, fixing those potholes, building more public transit uh, opportunity. Um, so so that's that's kind of what, what, what we're
0: facing on this side of the district. Gotcha. So I love that. I love that you want to see the developers build it. Being a union organizer, I have to say, I want to see that every single development is built with union labor. And I think that what I hear from developers often is profit margin, profit margin. They want to make money and they feel like union labor is too expensive, sadly, because we know how expensive it is to live in the Bay Area. So, you know, how are we asking people to come in and do this work if they can't also reside in the community? Are we bringing in workers from out of state? Because I hear that that happens sometimes. And I find that to be deplorable and disgusting. Um, I think everybody should be able to live where they work. And so if we need to build housing that is affordable and preferably deeply affordable so that somebody who is um, whatever, so that everybody can get housing, that's what I wanna push for in Dublin and everywhere else. You know, I do think that it could be beneficial if we had state subsidies. I don't necessarily wanna do state subsidies uh, that simply pad the profits of private developers. But I think that we also need to have, you know, like SB 50, which was Scott Wiener's legislation uh, last year, was all about increasing density, especially around transit corridors. The part that I wanted to see was affordability considerations. We have to have affordability considerations when we're building and when we're imagining development. right? Because without it, that's where we end up missing. So right now in Hayward, we're actually gonna lose schools. There's a proposal from the school district to close five elementary schools and two middle schools. It's going to impact 18,000 students between like moving them around and all sorts of stuff. And the district wants to come up with a financial solution to sell the public land to real estate developers, to the highest bidder for building market rate housing. And the sad part is that, uh, you know, in, in this area, it's going to increase gentrification in a certain way. In a suburb like Dublin, it already is kind of that, you know, pretty much everything is a newer, newish within the last 30 or 40 years development. Right. Um, but without regulation, without constraints, let's say we have to consider affordability first, more than just 10%, more than just 15 or 20%. Like we have to make fully affordable developments. We have to invest in it. And I don't think it's gonna happen if we don't force it because market rate housing is profit even if it sits vacant, you know, how much market rate housing have we built in a city like San Francisco and it's vacant, but we have people that are homeless right next door to the construction to the buildings. So, you know, I think that's, that's where I come in. Um, Tell me what you think of that. No, I think it makes a lot of sense. I,
1: I am a big proponent of creating housing that matches, uh, you know, certain uh, demographics as well. Um, and and also salaries so you know my teachers who work at the public schools here in dublin can't afford to live in dublin mm-hmm. that's uh seniors uh, i've heard you know it's very difficult for them they're on a very fixed income they don't have the silicon valley um you know money that floods into these cities because people need to live here to commute to those areas uh and, and that's kind of what dublin is it's kind of like this hub to where folks who work in south bay san jose Tech are they you know transit to to San Francisco? That's kind of where the city lies. Uh, And yes, we're creating new jobs. Companies are moving out here, uh, but that's also what we're facing: is the influence of tech, uh, corporate influence in in our elections. Um, So so, you know, uh, and I'm not sure how much the legislature can address that. But having one more clean money candidate uh, be a representative in in uh, in Sacramento isn't the worst thing, as far as I can tell.
0: so I think it sounds, sounds pretty good for now. <laughs> well, I'm glad that it sounds good. I think it's, you know, it's not simple. It's not cookie cutter. And you're right. We do have to focus on making sure we have places for teachers, nurses, firefighters, police, you know, everybody needs to be able to live where they work. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know that I would want to shape policy to the current demographic or if I would want to shape policy that creates a demographic. Yeah. Because I think what we see in some areas is that uh, they are homogenous. Exactly. And the the homogeneity of the, the people doesn't match the socioeconomic situation. Like you said, we got seniors, we got fixed income folks, we got folks who are nurses and teachers and, you know, the socioeconomic piece sometimes master- matches race lines, sometimes it doesn't. But if we're going to have a community, then we really have to make space for everyone. Because yeah. what happens when you have the, the person who's making your coffee down the street, they definitely need a place to live too. And it used to be where we would say teachers, firefighters, police, public servants, those are the people we're going to go for, community first responders. Right. And those people absolutely need to be prioritized. I'm a nurse. I would love to have housing that I could afford. And fortunately, I've been in my home for six years now. Uh, but it's like, as time goes by, and everything gets more expensive. I mean, we're looking at inflation, that's 6% just this one year, but wages aren't going up 6%. Even for somebody with a union, we don't get raises like that. We we can't keep up with the cost of inflation. We can't keep up with how fast housing is accelerated. So what are we supposed to do? So, you know, I think that we have to shape policy um, so that people can really have a fighting chance. Exactly. Uh... And and I just want to close out with with one final question,
1: right? Of course, get out there and vote if you want to see these things happen. Uh, And and please vote in this election, even if it's not for Jennifer. I encourage you to vote. But if it is for Jennifer, that would also be great. Uh, And and more. I think
0: you should vote for me, for sure.
1: I think so, too. Vote for your community. Exactly. Exactly. And... And and be involved, be engaged. I will link the Jennifer's website below. Uh, Feel free to volunteer, also to show up to any uh, house party or virtual house party events. Uh, I know you can learn more, a lot more, when you're there and and physically present, or even virtually. You get plugged into the network, um, and and it can be you know pretty uh, outstanding, especially when when you feel you're making the difference, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think. You as a union organizer, just fits the epitome of that. Um you've seen it happen, so you know it can't. Uh, but I just want to close out and ask, what is your what is your advice, right? to 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 next generation Gen Z, uh, you know folks like me, young who are you know going to be voting the future class of voters. We're going to be uh, impacting our education policy, our affordable housing. Um, and and our climate and and criminal justice systems. Um, what what would you say to them, as 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 we graduate and and become that that fleet of voters that's going to decide the next maybe twenty years?
0: Yeah, vote like your life depends on it because your life does depend on it. You know, every drop of water we drink is impacted by policy about whether or not it's coming to us, going to Southern California, or being tainted with pollution. Every every time you breathe, we're breathing air that is either contaminated or not. That's scripted by policy. Same thing about a f- housing and whether or not you can afford to live in a one-bedroom apartment or a three-bedroom where you share a room and have six roommates. Like, In order to make sure that your life is the way you want it to be, it's more than just self-determination. We live in this American society where truly it seems as though uh, individualism reigns. But I think that what we've come to understand with COVID is that we all have an impact on each other. We have to vote because our vote creates the leadership that we live within. And as you said, Kunal, uh, you know that your city council is making decisions that impact whether or not you can afford housing today and tomorrow. So if you don't vote, if you don't run, if you don't get involved and engaged, things will be done to you. Personally, I prefer to be a doer. I prefer to be someone who can shape the world around me. And I I have voted since I turned 18 when I think Bill Clinton was on the ballot uh, just to age myself a little bit. (laughs) Uh, But the best thing you can do is start voting now and vote from the top of the ballot all the way down, flip every page over, hit every box because those elections mean a lot. And the more you vote, the more you'll get involved and understand how impactful it is. You know, we just had this huge recall that the governor had to fight for his life and making sure that we didn't have our governor's uh, mansion taken over by a Republican was crucial. Though we have a Democratic supermajority and a Democratic governor, people feel frustrated by whether or not we can pass progressive legislation. We know that if we have a Republican governor, all bets are off. The Republican governor is going to do executive action and ruin our state in a way that we just can't tolerate. And so it's like Knowing the impact and the outcome that is possible. We saw what happened when 45 was in the White House. Right. Things were done to us. And we saw what happened when the election, when we needed a peaceful transition, people tried to overthrow the government. Voting is incredibly important. Exactly. And so check me out on jenniferesteen.com. Hit up my socials, esteen, the number four, C A all across. You can find me at that, at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, esteen4ca. And, you know, check me out. Uh, I feel like this has been an exciting interview. Thank you so much for the time, Kunal. And I want to make sure that if you need to learn more, you can hit me up, email me at info at jenniferesteen.com. I'm happy to engage, happy to talk more, and I'll come visit so we can have a real in-depth discussion about why voting matters and why you should vote for me. Exactly.
1: and and I think that's the perfect way to end it. Uh, please go visit uh, the website, reach out, uh, very friendly. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're willing to have a conversation with anybody, any questions, please do reach out. I'll link all that information below to make it a little bit simpler. Uh, but no, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to, to you know, almost Christmas. So, so I do appreciate it. Um, and for your perspective, I think uh, what you're doing is phenomenal. I do wish you the best in the rest of your campaign journey. Uh, and and hopefully we'll have another uh, registered nurse organizer uh, representing us in the state assembly. Uh, yeah. So so thank you, and I
0: wish you the best of luck. Thanks so much. Take care.